0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about the church in Hebrews. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I wanna share with you a pretty big announcement. Next month, I will be transitioning into a new role as the lead pastor of Pathway Church in Gresham, Oregon. Thus, I will no longer be the pastor at Creekside. There's a lot that has led to this change, but it suffices to say, that it's clear that this is the next step that God has for me, my family, and even Creekside. This means that it won't be my sermons that you hear on this podcast anymore. Some of you have listened to our sermons for years and years. I want you to know that I appreciate it so much, and I really hope that you'll continue to do so. Matt Kenirey, who preaches for us often, you maybe have heard him on this podcast, will be the interim pastor. He's a great preacher. I'm also sure that whoever is the next lead pastor at Creekside will be a great communicator too. Our church values impactful preaching of the Bible. At the same time, I'd love for you to continue to listen to my sermons. You'll be able to find those by going to pathwaychurch.net. They don't send their sermons to podcast yet, but hopefully soon. This is a big change, but the goal of Creekside and the goal of these sermons has not changed one bit. And so with that in mind, I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I want to uh, first uh, talk about the things that this church needs to be about. Uh, I began my start of being the lead pastor of this church, you know, from the very beginning. I've preached on what the church actually says about being a church, what is commanded of the church, and I want to finish that way. I really do. And, And at the same time, some of the things that we're going to see that we saw in the first week. I talked about encouraging one another every day. I don't know what Matt said. Uh, I heard, since I'm up here and I can give him a hard time after saying that nice prayer, I heard he preached a really long time, so I didn't have time. Uh, I didn't have time this week to listen to Matt's uh, sermon because there's only so many hours in a day. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I don't know what he said, but in the first week, we saw that we must encourage one another daily. And, and you might not remember this, but I said to you, I said, We definitely get an above average grade when it comes to this. We have some amazing encouragers, some people who really care about each other. It's not just a church where people show up on a Sunday and that's the end of their church experience. It's not that church. And so many churches are, I think, and I said this, that that's one of the problems in the American church is that for so many people, the entirety of the church experience is to show up at one gathering, listen to a sermon and sing some songs and that's it. Or uh, even perhaps more sadly, the entirety of some people's church experience now is to tune in online and watch a sermon and listen to some songs and that's it. But our church is far better than most at being a church that encourages people. And you can even see glimpses of that when we are gathered on Sunday and how long people are here talking to each other, laughing with each other, demonstrating to one another that they care. And I think that the second thing that we're going to look at is another thing where I give us an above average grade. I don't know what that is, but we get an above average grade here at Creekside and I'm proud of that. But also I want to, as I leave this place, I want to remind you to keep going in these things. This is something I think we've done pretty well, but something that we should still grow in and continue to do. Uh, long after I'm gone from this place. And so here's, ready, I just want three verbs and then they've been in my head. This was helpful to me to remember. This is not usually how I preach. I don't usually do like three points in a poem. It's just not the way I do things. But these three words are your main three points. And I think they're really helpful. If you could walk away and remember these three words, then, then I would have done pretty well today in my sermon. And I'll explain them, obviously. I won't just leave you with them, but here they are. Love show, and remember. Love, show, and remember. And these three words and what they mean, what we're going to think about, they come from Hebrews 13. And Hebrews 13 is a really important passage of scripture. Let me read to you what Luke Timothy Johnson says. In this penultimate section of Hebrews, above all, it is important to resist the temptation to forget the powerful rhetoric, character of the composition The section 13, one through 17 is far from an afterthought. It brings the hearers to a direct engagement with the behaviors that are consistent with the dispositions of faith, hope, and love that the author has consistently encouraged among them. I know that's a wordy quote, but I think it's really important. So let me just say what he said in a shorter, less smart way. It means this, you can't forget that the practical teachings of Hebrews 13 are connected to all of the weighty theology that has been given to us in Hebrews 1 through 12. Last week I talked about the beginning of Hebrews because I was, or two weeks ago, I talked about the beginning of Hebrews and I talked about how there's this high Christology and these really big and heady and uh, difficult even to kind of comprehend themes in some ways. And it's written from this very Jewish perspective And and he lays forth, the author lays forth as empowered by the Holy Spirit, this Christology. Here's Jesus. He's God's final word. He is fully human. He's divine. He is uh, more important than the angels, far greater than the angels. So only worship him and worship him alone. And the book continues to have these incredibly high themes of Jesus, like his Um, priesthood and, and how he is the one that mediates on behalf of us and Jesus. And it talks about faith and the importance of faith and our cloud of witnesses and all of these really deep, rich theological things. And it would be easy to go, oh, there's the important stuff. And then to get to Hebrews 13, which contains the rest of the verses that I'll preach on in this sermon series and to go, yeah, this seems just less important. But what Luke Timothy Johnson reminds us of is that we we respond to what the book of Hebrews has said by living out Hebrews 13. This is the practical, applicable applications for our lives because of the theology. And by the way, quick note, read Hebrews. It'd be a good book for you to read. And a second quick note, if ever theology is disconnected from the way in which you live your life, then you're not doing very good theology. And what we read in Hebrews 13 is a reminder of that. In fact, uh, really what we read in chapter 13 should be connected to this incredible statement in Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe. So what we read in Hebrews 13 is really a description of some of the ways that we worship God with reverence and awe. Some of the ways that we acceptably worship the God that the book of Hebrews has taught us about and told us to have faith in. And by the way, Hebrews 12, 29 is... Uh, there is a Hebrews twelve twenty nine. and it talks about God being a consuming fire. Uh, but really, it's quoting Deuteronomy four twenty four. And so the connection for all of it is simple. It's simple. Look, you should be thankful that you've been brought into a relationship. If you're a Christian, a relationship with Jesus. You should be thankful for all that that means for you, that you can have faith, that you can trust in the promises of God, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, that you can believe in things that you can't even see. You should be thankful that you've been brought into that. And so therefore your life should be about worship. And here are some of the ways that you can worship. Now, normally I get to the end of my sermon and there's a moment it's every week. If you've been around, you've heard it where I very plainly, as plainly as I can, remind you of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what binds us together as Christians, the reason that we are here, that we have a church here, and and that is that we are sinners, and that because of that, all of us were separated from God, we were enemies of God, and, and so God came down in the person of Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. Her name was Mary. He lived a sinless life. He never did anything wrong. He never did anything regrettable. He never did anything that was against the will of the Father in heaven. And then at the end of that life, because he had lived perfectly, he was able to die on behalf of us. He died for our sins. Three days later, he rose again. And what happens for humanity is that because of that story, we can come to the holy fire we can come into a relationship with God. We get to be the people of God. It's a call back to God making the Israelites his people at Mount Sinai. We now have the opportunity to be brought into the nation and the family of God. We can be God's people and we have so many benefits from that, our peace and our love and our joy and our forgiveness and our hope and our eternity in heaven and all of those things. And really What we read here in Hebrews 13 is simply this. It's a response. Because I have come to believe that Jesus is the Savior, and I have come to take hold of some of the benefits, and I know that I will receive all of the benefits in eternity of what Jesus did for me. Because of that, here's how I should live my life. And several of these points are church-centered, it's about what we need to do with the other people that we call our church. Listen to Hebrews 13, 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Jesus tells his disciples while he's still living that this is actually how people will know that, that we are his followers. Listen to this John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Uh, do you see that it just keeps being said? Love one another. And Paul takes the banner of this in the New Testament. It's a consistent theme. Love one another. The author of Hebrews now is saying the same thing. Keep on loving one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. It comes up in Romans 12:10, 1 Thessalonians 4:9, 1 Peter 1:22. 1, But that's not even all of the statements about the importance of love. You know well, probably, what happens in 1 Corinthians 13. There's this description of love. It's read at a lot of weddings. But before that great description, listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. By the way, this is sandwiched, as you could guess, in between 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, It is absolutely, we think of this as like the romance love, you know, chapter of the Bible, but it is a chapter of the Bible in a larger section about how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in church. And do you notice the point of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3? You can have all the gifts in the world and they can be Maximum power, right? Like faith that moves mountains. But if there's no love, then it doesn't matter at all. Now I want to just think about that in terms of what we have here at our church. Um, By the way, um, and, and I think this is worth noting, that... Uh, some one author that I read actually connects our passage to Hebrews twelve twenty seven, which contains the phrase "cannot be shaken," and so the commands. If we live them out, if we have this faith and live it out, then we cannot be shaken. And I think of our church right now: pastor leaving, tons of transition, not as big as we used to be, uh, under half the size as we were pre-COVID new ministry leaders, you know, like we, there's a million things to figure out, right? Feels pretty shaky. Feels a little bit shaky. But what the author of Hebrews is inspired by the Holy Spirit is saying, that if you love one another, then you won't be shaken. And what Paul says in First Corinthians 13 is, even if you had all the resources in the world, if you have a thousand people And they're gifted in every way. And you have all the money that you could ever want as a church, which will never ever happen, but you had all the money that you could ever want. If you had every single resources, the the greatest musicians, the greatest children's leaders, the greatest graphic designers, the greatest prayers, the greatest encouragers, the greatest people of prayer and faith. If you had all of that, but your church lacked love, then you don't really have anything. And what that suggests to me is that no matter what happens next here at Creekside, the thing that should be at the heart of it all is love. The first thing I would want to say about that is that God has always proved faithful to our church and I believe he always will. He always has and he always will. But there's this thing that I think is so important to say. We need to continue to love one another but our church has been a church of love and it is a church of love. And it might feel shaky because the resources and the people and the leadership is different. It might feel shaky, but I actually think this church stands on really solid ground because it's always been a church that stands on love. Let me tell you some ways that I see that. I see it in the way that people treat children in our church. Some kid has the loudest toy in the world in the back right now. You've all heard it. Um, You've all heard it. Um, But has literally not a single person has turned back there and, and with an angry look that said, how dare that kid. And from the very beginning of my ministry, kids have been loved in our church. Now, parents feel awkward. I don't even know what kid it was, but they're feeling awkward right now that I even brought it up. But I've been there. I mean, my kid shut down the whole service by pushing the power button one time. And I felt uncomfortable But no person said, no person ever even thought, I don't think. Can you just take care of your kid? Can you do better? It's always been this great demonstration of love towards the kids in our church, no matter what they do, no matter how much they misbehave. They're invested in here. Let me tell you another way that I see it in our church. Our church prays. Through the years, we've had people that are gone from our church, Far left, long past leaving our church, moving away from our church, and they need prayer. And they reach out to our church to ask them to pray for the things that they're facing in their lives. That's a demonstration of love. I see it in how people stick around 20 or 30 minutes after the service is over, and they're not helping us put things away, but they are. I'm on my way out. I can say what I want, baby. Um, Uh, but they're talking to each other. They're hugging each other. They're laughing with each other. I've said for years, and this is still feels true to me. I think we have one of the biggest churches in Oregon. If you, if you just look 20 or 30 minutes after the service ends you go to most churches, people are gone, man. It is wild to visit churches. And you look, I'm talking like a church of a thousand people, 20 minutes after the service. And you're like, wow, there are paid staff members here right now that need to clean up, and the rest of the people are already out the door. And that's never been the culture of our church. Well, it has not been in the last 10 or 11 years as I've been the pastor, the culture of our church. Uh, I see it really strongly in our small groups right now. I mean, people are just... Caring about one another and there for each other and having great dialogue and sometimes dialogue about difficult things and yet they love each other and they care about each other and they're there for each other. And I see it in the meals that are provided when people go to the hospital. And so as I read this passage to you today, I just want to say what it says. Keep on loving one another. Just keep doing it. I don't know what happens next. I don't know who the next pastor will be. But if you keep on loving one another, then this church is not on shaky ground. It's on solid ground. It's been foundational. It's been foundational for what we have done. The first the first man, when I became the pastor, we had 30 people total like I guess our lowest average attendance month was 28 and that's because some people left right when I started. Uh, We have more people than that here today, and so uh, I I just, I mean, we just built a culture where people loved each other, and over time, it proved to be a solid foundation. But then I would say that we need to keep growing in that. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3.12, one of Paul's prayers. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. It's been fun to find these prayers that we're kind of reading together and to use them in our our corporate worship. We've been reading the prayers of Paul or praying them together and making them corporate, not him for us, but us for each other. And and I love this one. May, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow. And so, yes, we must continue to love one another, but hopefully we would grow in our love to the point that we are overflowing with love. Now, this is one of my most famous lines that I've ever preached. Just one of the most memorable, anyway. Uh, it's this this is how I define love. Some of you already know what I'm going to say, but love is them above you as their good you pursue because of their value. Love is placing others above yourself because you know that they are valuable. And as Christians, we can uniquely do that because. We recognize every person's value in the fact that they were created in the image of God unlike the rest of the world, those outside of Christianity, we recognize God created us with value and he proved that value by dying for us. And so we don't have to say, I like that person. I'm into the same stuff. I think they're cute. They're my children. We don't have to say those things to love somebody. We love because we know their value. We place them above ourselves. And I hope that you will grow in your ability to do that. Above all, Luke Timothy Johnson says, It involves mutual sharing of possessions and activities. Your love must be active. I've seen that, but it must continue to be true. We cannot love and just saying, you know, just talk and emotion even. You have to love by acting. You have to continue to love people actively. And then verse two builds on this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some... People have shown hospitality to angel, angels without knowing it. By the way, this this word love here, uh, this word for hospitality strangers is another word for love. It could mean love of strangers, and it's it's really close in Greek. And, and I think it's perhaps intentional. It's really close to the word for love in the first verse that I've already read to you. Let me let me read them to you. Philadelphia is the first one, and then. And is the second one. And so you see the same stem, right? Same root word. And, and, and therefore, I think partly what we're supposed to see here is that these two ideas go together. We must continue to love one another, but we must continue to love strangers. Now in the New Testament, if you were to read the New Testament and you would have an eye towards what does it mean to show hospitality or to love strangers... What you'd see is that it's primarily about loving other Christians who are outside of our local church. It's used for like when missionaries were coming through, Paul traveling and preaching to the churches. And so there must be a spirit of love between Christians. We must love people not just in our church, but we must extend that love. It starts here, it overflows here, and it flows out into loving other Christians. Christians, even Christians that we maybe will never meet again. And it shows up sometimes. Uh, we had uh, the Rath family. Uh, some of you will remember them. They were a South African family that showed up at our church one Sunday. And uh, and uh, they were here because the husband uh, was was had a job and he was only supposed to be here two or three months. And then they were supposed to move on. And, and you know what our church did? We said, well, if you're only going to be here two or three months, we don't care. No, we didn't do that, right? Like we invested in this family and I'm so glad we did because they ended up staying a year. Um, The the work thing ended up lasting longer and and they became like a part of our family. We loved these strangers. We knew they wouldn't be here long-term, but we cared about them anyway. Our love for strangers should never be based on, listen to this, this is so important, what a person can do for our church. When somebody comes into our midst, they must be loved, no matter who they are, where they're from, if they'll ever be back again. This is the command that we show love or hospitality to the people that we don't even know. And listen, this is, I think this, is, this is, needs to be in our heads. When the rich guy comes in or the person that looks rich, they should not be treated than the person that walks in that looks poor. Uh, When the young family with kids comes in, they shouldn't be treated better than the single man who comes in and maybe is a little bit older. Uh, When a visiting preacher comes in, they shouldn't be treated better than someone who just happened to show up because they wandered in off the street. When a family who has moved next to the church comes in, they should not be treated better than the family who is visiting for a Sunday and going to travel back home. We must not just love one another, but our love for one another must extend. It must pour out. It must overflow. And then we should love others. One of the things that I've been known to say around here is that, that if people don't experience the love of Jesus in the parking lot, when they walk in the doors, then they won't believe me when I preach about it from the stage. And as I leave, I would just hope that you would continue to take hospitality very seriously in this congregation that no matter who comes in here, they will experience love. And I think that that has happened. I think one of the, if I could just uh, talk about the special sauce that that allowed Creekside to be, that allows Creekside to be a good church, but allowed us to grow, that, that I think is what's setting this church up for the future, despite all of the transitions that are taking place here. One of the things that's been the special sauce of our church is, is that when visitors come, I think they feel loved, but they don't feel like they're being treated well because we really, really, really want them to come back because we need more children's ministry workers. Um, you know, like, and, and, and I visited, I visited a lot of churches last summer when I was on sabbatical. And here we are, a young family. We visited smaller churches, not a lot of young families, a lot of older people. And, and, and we would come in and we just would feel like people cared because there was an opportunity to start a children's ministry. That's what we felt like. But our church, I think this is what's happened in our church. I think I can really say this. This has always been true. People have loved each other. We've loved one another. And when somebody comes in, we show them love too. And if they never come back, we're fine with that. But we want to demonstrate that we care, that we're here for them, that we would like them to come back. And I hope that that would continue at Creekside because that's been one of the things, that's been one of the ingredients in our secret sauce is to genuinely love people when they walk in and not care about people because they might benefit our church in some way. Keep doing that. And obviously we should love those who aren't Christians, right? I mean, that's just something we should do. But he says this thing that that some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it and there's uh there's several like old testament stories that that could be alluded to here but but since he doesn't say it i i instead of the old testament want to allude to a country song Um, it's one of the only songs that's ever uh changed my life and it really actually changed my life the song is called very appropriately What If She's an Angel is by Tommy Shane Steiner, a one hit wonder. Uh, And uh, Tommy Shane Steiner changed my life by recording this song. But this song goes through different scenarios Uh, homeless person on the street, uh, neighbor that's being abused, uh, person with cancer, child with cancer. And it talks about how we can just look away, go about our days, uh, treat the person as if they don't matter because because we are busy or whatever it might be. But then it asks this question, what if she's an angel? In fact, it says it like this in the last, last time through the course. Maybe she's an angel sent here from heaven and she's making certain you're doing your best to take the time to help one another. Brother, are you going to pass that test? You can go on with your day-to-day trying to forget what you saw in her face, knowing deep down it could have been her saving grace. What if she's an angel? song changed my life because when it was popular, I was uh, in college going to Corbin University and there's a panhandler every single day coming off the uh, the Mission Street exit onto Lancaster in Salem. They're there every single day. And it was so easy just to look away and turn my glance, pretend I couldn't see them. And I don't do that anymore um, because of this song. And in fact, we ran a homeless ministry here for two years, partly because of this song and it's the way it resonated with me. Um, And I would just say to you that that you should look at every person and and this is kind of what it says. I mean, what if, what if they're an angel? Would you pass the test? I mean, a person walks in here and you don't know them into our church. Let's just take the easy example. Person shows up uh, and you don't know them; They're a stranger. If they're an angel, Will you pass that test? Or do you just go find the person that you already know, the person you're comfortable with, the person you share interest with, and hang out with them? Because what this says is that we should treat every person as if they are an angel. We should treat every person with love. We should treat every person with love. So, first, love one another. Love. And then show hospitality to strangers or show love to strangers. Love and show. And then verse 3 says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Jesus makes clear that we should take care of those who are hungry, thirsty, strangers, sick, and in prison. Uh, Convicted this week a little bit because I know multiple people in prison right now, and I have a couple of letters that I've received back from them that I haven't responded to in far too long. And and I felt some guilt as I read this, and it said, Remember those who are in prison. And I have letters sitting there waiting to be responded to that I've kind of forgotten about. But really, I think this is even more about remembering persecuted Christians. This is about people who are suffering for the faith that we hold to. We should remember these people, this is, this is convicting. We should remember those in prison as if you were together with them and as if you yourselves were suffering. That's a really big call, is it not? Uh, Philip Hacking says, all too easily security and comfort win the day. We must never be allowed to forget the price many of our fellow believers worldwide pay for following Jesus. We must remember that there are people all around the world that are suffering for the faith that we cling to, that we have our hope in the faith that the book of Hebrews has described to us. And so we must love one another. We must love those who are strangers that come into our midst, but we must also remember, and I think is an extension of that, love in whatever way we can those around the world that we may never meet, that follow the same Jesus that we do. We must not forget those who are in prison and those who are being mistreated for uh, the faith. We must love them. Now, what do we do? I mean, here this is the question I had as I was preparing for this sermon. Like, what do we do? Even if we're like, I'm gonna remember, you know, I'm gonna remember, I'm gonna think about, I'm gonna tangibly think about the fact that there are people being persecuted for their Christianity. What do I actually do? I live in the United States of America. Somebody might get made fun of, but like, for being a Christian, but that's about it. So what must I do? Well, here's my very practical application. You should read the book safely home. That's the first thing that I think that you should all do. It's by Randy Alcorn, who's best known as the heaven guy. It's a fictional book, but it's a fictional book that deals with persecution, specifically persecution in China. And it's a book that more than anything else I've ever read or thought about, more than any statistic, it made me really care about the suffering of my brothers and sisters around the world. Um, One of the ways that I've actually been obedient to this command to remember those who are in prison, those who are being mistreated for their faith, and I don't do it as consistently as I would like. But one of the ways that I've actually done it is through prayer, and that's because of safely home. And in that book, Randy, uh, I encourage people to pray some specific things for Christians. And this is what I've done occasionally when I'm praying with my kids. I'll pray something like this. God, I pray that the food would taste better, that the cell would seem bigger, that the blows would feel softer, and that they would sense your presence and know that the, what they are suffering is worth it. This is in some way, my tangible expression of trying to live out what we are commanded of here. And I think you should just ask the question beyond prayer, what can I do to remember those around the world who are being hurt, who are in prison for their faith? And I hope that God will reveal an answer to you. And so here it is. Ready? NIV translation, super helpful, but I want to say those three words to you again, um, I don't have many sermons left here, but I think this is so important as I walk out of the door. Uh, Love, show, and remember. Love, show, and remember. Love one another. Show love to those who are strangers and remember those who are far from us who are being hurt for their faith. Let me just give you a couple more uh, very tangible things, very practical things that you can do. First, sit by someone at church You know, you can easily space out. We shoot for 65% of our our chairs to be full. It's not even close to that today. And look, you're still spread out. This is sit by somebody at church. Sit by somebody who looks alone at church. Help someone move. You know, we've been really good about that in this church. I just saw somebody put their hand on somebody's shoulder. Um, (laughs) Sit by somebody and help somebody move. Help somebody with something. Go over to somebody's house. Ask if they have a problem. Ask if they have a need that you can meet. Do that for somebody that you go to church with. How can you show hospitality? Find someone that you don't know in church and, and and talk to them. When a Christian is here that's from out of state, take them to lunch. And then here's just another very practical tip. How can you remember those who are suffering? suffering? You can write this down if you want, if you're a writer downer of things. GlobalChristianRelief.org. GlobalChristianRelief.org. You go there, you can read story after story of modern persecution, things that are happening right now around the world. And I think that will help you to not forget, but rather to start to pray for these people. Uh, let me pray that, that you will do these things and that our church will be a church that does these things. Lord Jesus, um, I've tried to shepherd this church to be about the things that you're about, Lord. And, uh, and here in Hebrews, we have very simple things that we can practically you know, live out and I just ask God that this would be a church that overflows in love, that grows in its loves to the point that it just overflows. Lord, I want, you know, you say, God, that if that, that your disciples will be known by their love for one another. And it is my prayer, God, that this church is known for its love of one another. I don't want... Creekside. I don't want Pathway to be a church, God. I don't want any church to be a church that's known for the great preaching or the great music or the great children's program, the things that we so often think about. But God, churches should be known and this church should be known mainly for its love for one another. And let that love extend, God, to strangers and those around the world. I pray, God, that, that these things that are, these practical things that I've offered today, that they'd be put into practice, God, that we would help each other, God, that, that we would be nice to those that we maybe don't know, that we would, God, uh, consider the persecution going on around the world, and that, God, we would live out the commands that you have made for your church and for this church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.